like even Volkswagen, right? Yeah. When you hear the car door slam for Volkswagen, it's very, it just seems like very sturdy. Like, yes, the door's closed now. Like you have yeah. no questions. Welcome to the Designers MVM show, where we talk about design, designers' passions, and important topics that need a stage. Everyone should be heard, regardless of race, gender, location, or experience. Our guests are designers and people that deal with design in their daily lives. Today, we welcome a design manager, colleague, and overall awesome person working at Booking.com in Amsterdam, born in the US of A. It needed some convincing to get her on the show, so I'm really excited to announce our guest for today. Welcome. Zanya Barnum, but everyone calls her Z. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Thanks awesome. for having me. It's been it's been a pleasure. I mean, it's by popular request, right? People, okay. so many people <laughs> wanted you on the show. People have bullied you to get you on the show. We always start with the icebreaker question. Easy one. If you can have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> one thing. Yeah, Canada Dry Ginger Ale. Really? Oh, no, I should have chosen money. I choose money. Yeah? yeah unlimited, money. unlimited money. That's yeah. a good one. If you have money, you can buy everything. Smart yeah, answer. exactly. Smart yeah. person. This is a really smart person. Okay, so we're going to start with, with eight small questions. And I have some nice Jeopardy music to uh, accompany. This is really easy. You can do this. So iOS or Android? iOS. And uh, what do you think about Android? Uh, <laughs> Android is slacked. I don't R like Android. No? No. Have you ever had, did you ever own like an Android device or? Yes, I did because the telephone provider I had in the States was T-Mobile and they didn't have the iPhone for a very long time. And because I'm loyal, I slept with T-Mobile until they got the iPhone. So my first iPhone was an iPhone 5. Okay. I never switched, never switched since. Never look back and I never will. <laughs> yeah. That's the topic we're going to address uh, later on in the show, your brand I... loyalty. What social, what social networks do you use? Instagram and Twitter. I have a Facebook, but I don't use it. I just lurk occasionally. Do you have a, like a stalker account like Toma where no one knows it's actually <laughs> you or is it set up like? No, it's actually me. It's actually me. And, and honestly, I, I actually mostly use it for groups some groups that I'm a part of and that's it. Yeah. My girlfriend also has these groups, which are apparently amazing. There's a group called Amsterdam West even, or the Barsches. <laughs> and whenever you lose something on the street, you can just post it in a group and it gets reshared within seconds by like a dozen people. Yeah, amazing. that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Groups are great. Yeah. Too bad I had Facebook and I never, never want to use it again, but that's another topic. <laughs> Okay, think great design. What's the first physical product that you think of? I, I choose it up because it's on my desk. Yeah, Apple AirPods. I really like the case. It's magnetic, magnetic closure. It charges my AirPods. It's always the, like, the small products that Apple makes that have the most impact, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love the AirPods. But this, uh, you, you have the AirPods Pro, right? So the noise cancelling one. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm wearing now. Yeah, I mean, the 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 app the, the original airports were great, but if you biked and have it come try to have a conversation, it was horrible. 
yeah definitely then they work. but they're still they're still great they are still great but these are these are a step up which yeah. which uh, also explains the price the pricing of these things okay again think great design what's the first digital product that you think of yeah i was thinking about this earlier and i really like the genius app i don't know if you've heard of it but it's like an app that you can use to look up song lyrics or they even have speeches maybe famous speeches that people have given and i really like it because it highlights parts of the text um, and if you tap that you can see annotations and what people think that the text means and you can vote up or down explanations and it's really nice because sometimes maybe you listen to song lyrics and you don't quite get it or you have an yeah. idea of what it might mean and maybe even the artist will say like this is what i meant by these few lines of text awesome. so i really like the genius app it's an app is it it's of course available for ios or is it yes, a web but app? It's, it's also on the web but i i use it on my iphone primarily genius never heard of it it's yeah. genius awesome yeah <laughs> cool so fifth question Des describe the work environment of your dreams hopefully i'm surrounded by people that i that i enjoy being around and there's like endless team vibes and good chemistry i really like that but then also if i'm thinking about a physical space I like a work environment that has a lot of windows and natural light, but still also has private spaces where you can really be enclosed and focused and alone. And then an indoor Starbucks would also be nice. Of course, <laughs> of course. So what the open office, is that your thing? I think I, I think I would like an office that has both. So a large area where it can be open, but then it's really nice to have these areas that are more secluded where you can really focus and just be away from everyone when you need to be. So I think yeah. it's good to have both. That's true. I think right now it's at booking, at least it's too much of open office and too little of the, of the rest. I mean, all meeting rooms get, get used as a personal private space yeah. where people work, but we need more of the other. Yeah. Yeah. True. I agree. Back when you're still designing, because now you're a design manager you don't do any designing anymore. What was your favorite design tool? And why? I'm going to go backwards in time, I guess, a bit. Well, not backwards in time, but my favorite design tools are actually, I really love Adobe products. So I used to really like Adobe InDesign, but I haven't used it in quite some time. But I, I only imagine that it's improved and gotten even better. But recently, I've been getting into Photoshop again, and I haven't touched it and uh, touched it maybe eight years ago when I was still in school. And it's just come such a long way, and it's just so yeah, it's really impressive all the things that Photoshop can do. So I really love Adobe products. Yeah, not necessarily the most intuitive, but but it, they're powerful. powerful. My yeah. my girlfriend was showing this context aware fill, which is mind blowing. Like, oh, and we don't need this person in the picture. Select content aware fill, and boom, and it's like, what? There's it, yeah. like the AI or whatever it powers is pretty amazing. It's come yeah. from a really long form because it used to be. Very, very bad, but it now yeah. it's <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Cool. What time of day are you most productive? And does that change with kind of like what kind of work you're doing? I'd say maybe the afternoon or night is when I'm most productive. It's probably also the time of day when people are less likely to reach out to you at work. Well, yeah. especially night, but yeah, because at the beginning of the day, everybody wants to catch up and tell you what they need from you that day, yada, yada, yada. So I think after after lunch and um like are you an early bird or not at all yeah i'm an early bird 
I can be an early bird. I don't have an issue waking up early or going to a really early meeting. And the last question is almost always the most difficult one. Who had the most influence on you as a designer in your life? And there are no wrong answers. For this question, my answer is that, yeah, just all the awesome people that I've worked with have been most influential to me. I really like, yeah, I really just like problem solving with a group of people and hearing what everyone's thoughts are, uh, thoughts are about uh, how to solve something. I think it's really interesting. Even when you hear somebody say something that you think is like way off base, yeah, it's still nice to really think about why they said that and what they were thinking about, what, what their thought process was, because maybe there's still something there that you can take away. So I really think that, yeah, it's not a singular person. It's just a group of people that I'm constantly around. And do you believe in mentorship? I guess, I guess so. I wouldn't say that I've had um, somebody who I've like had a formal mentor mentee relationship with that I can recall. Did you participate in like the mentor mentee program at, at booking? When it oh, started yeah, a couple I did. Years ago? Yeah. yeah, I did. I did pair up with someone because I really liked the way that he documented his files. And it was kind of uh, similar to what I was doing, but I felt he was a step ahead of me. So, yeah. and at this point, I also wanted to get more into mobile design and he, he specialized in mobile design. So he's somebody I paired up with and I showed him my work from time to time to get his feedback. And that was nice. So it was much more like a small part of your entire design work that you thought like, hey, I could improve this small thing, but not in general, like a yeah. mentor that like guides you through like the whole, whole stages of your career and everything that you, that you touch as a designer, just like, no, Hey, yeah. I want to improve on that. I'm looking specifically for a person that's yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. I also think in general, it's probably, <laughs> I, I imagine it's not that easy to find like a jack of all trades, but you have people who are really good at this, at, you know, particular things. So I think for me, my approach would be, I know that this person is really good at public speaking, for example, and then I want to get close to them so that they can help me become a better public speaker. And then maybe there's something that I can mentor them on, vice versa. Awesome. So those were the those were the eight quick questions. Not so hard, right? Right. So let's go back a little bit in time. Where did you grow up? Like in the US, but like describe the city where you grew up and how that was for childhood. Yeah, I was born in New York, but didn't live there. My family, uh, shortly after I was born, we moved to New Jersey, where I lived till maybe I was like 13. And I really liked New Jersey. I love New Jersey. People make fun of New Jersey because we don't pump our own gas. But I, I don't understand why you would want to pump your own gas. <laughs> maybe that's the American thing. <laughs> yeah. And then from there, I moved to Maryland, which was a culture shock. And then from there, I, I went to high school in D.C. And then I went to college in Northern Virginia. So I, I would say I grew up between New Jersey and Northern Virginia. Yeah. And how was your childhood? Was it a pleasant one? Did you have any, were there any things that you now think of stand out or made you a, the person who you are? Yeah, I had a great childhood. I had a really, I had and have really great parents. When did you first know uh, that you wanted to get into design? What was your first touch point with design? I'm not, I'm not really sure if I can really pinpoint it. I can just say that when I was, when I was younger, my mom was really into doing things with her hands and, and creating things. So even simple, well, not so simple, but I remember when we lived in New Jersey, she wanted to remodel one of the bathrooms in our house and she decided to do it herself. 
So yeah. it was fun going to the store with her and picking out tiles and how do these things look together? And, and just those really simple interactions really led to me being, I guess, more curious about how things work together and how I think that they should work together. So I became really... I became really interested in art. We had like an arts and crafts room when we moved to Maryland, which was a lot of fun. And I started making posters for school using PowerPoint. <laughs> awesome. It's not yeah, about the tool. It's not about yeah. the tool. It's about what you do with it. <laughs> yeah. PowerPoint was my first sketch. And that's what I really, I really realized that I liked maybe influence the way, influencing the way that people feel or think by making things. So yeah, yeah when I went to college, I, I thought like, oh, I want to be an architect because I I think it's yeah. nice to create spaces where people walk in and they're just completely influenced by what's surrounding them. I went to school on a soccer scholarship. And when I was looking around at schools, I ended up picking the school that didn't have an architecture program. So I thought like, oh, I'll just do graphic design because, yeah, that's fun too. Was that what you expected? Like the design education that you followed? Was it like what you think you would learn before you joined? I think so. We kind of learned about typography, colors, how to how to make uh yeah, how to make books and such, a lot of yeah. typesetting. But uh, it wasn't until even my senior year when we had my school had their first uh web design class because it really just wasn't a thing. What kind of things did you did you what other things than design did you learn during your education? I guess maybe I can run a, run away from education slightly and say yeah, sure. I learned a lot of my soft skills from just playing sports my entire life. So really learning how to be a part of a team and to change your communication style to work with different people and how to motivate people who have different motivations to, to still work towards a common goal. Yeah. So I would say that in terms of like my soft skills and also even how that translates to how I communicate with people at work or how or how I try to engage them is really based on, I think my, my sports background. Yeah, that makes sense. I think we discussed this two episodes back where someone said that sports basically is a really compressed version of what you can expect when you're going to work in a big company, because you have limited time. Like when you're playing soccer on the pitch, you have to do mm. everything in a split second. You have to communicate yeah. with your, with your teammates, make important decisions. And then, I mean, you know, Andre, Andre has a lot of sports analogies that actually <laughs> make sense when you um, use them in the office. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the people that, that have played sports say that it has been a big influence on how they approach their personal career, yeah. professional career. Yeah, definitely. What was your first design job? When I graduated from school, I started working at a startup because they wanted help to design a book that they had written. So I joined that company specifically to design this book. And then, yeah, it was a company that helped larger companies craft their business models and tie, tie jobs to be done to revenue and, and market trends and so on and so forth. And a few times clients would come in and they'd have to kind of show them something. And yeah, I always like to try to find ways where I can make an impact. So I yeah. thought maybe I could help with the way that they were showing things to the way that we were showing things to our clients. And I started making interactive PDFs on InDesign. Awesome. <laughs> and, yeah. Cool and then steps. I thought like, yeah. <laughs> and then I thought like, oh, this is cool. Like when people tap things, this happens. And like, woo, I, I don't know. I just got really into it. I was making like almost websites via interactive PDFs, which is not how you're supposed to use InDesign, but that's what I did. 
And awesome. then, yeah, from then I kind of like segued into just being, yeah, a web designer and web app designer. And this was uh, your job before moving to Amsterdam, right? Yes. After two years, uh, unfortunately, the startup, uh, it didn't work out. So my my employers, who are really awesome people, they suggested that, you know, it's they'll keep us employed, but we should start to look for other jobs. And that's when I saw an ad on a job site that said, want to move to Amsterdam? And I thought, wow, that sounds like fun. And yeah. next thing you know, I'm here. <laughs> Have you, had, did you did you hear about Amsterdam and booking before you joined or before you reacted to the to the ad? No, I only heard of booking.com maybe a couple months before I saw that ad because they finally, I guess, started advertising in the States using commercials. Yeah. <laughs> so all these fun, funny commercials would come on where booking was using booking.com as an expletive. And yeah. yeah, they were really funny commercials and that's the only way I'd heard of them. But I did not know that booking was the biggest OTA in the world. No, because the brand booking still in the US is not super familiar with the, with the larger audience. So you joined as a graduate and now you're a design manager. Could you tell me a little bit uh, about what your early uh, work at Booking was? Like what kind of things did you do at Booking? It's been a while. It's five years ago. It's been a while. I was on a team that owned not the search box, but just the input field. Wow. Uh, Very specific. The, yes. So they earned, they, they owned like the autocomplete uh, drop down and then if you yeah. were to search for something and not select something in the autocompleting, you just press enter, it would take you to a disambiguation page. So my team owns that page okay. and just this, the input field. Was this um, what you ex expected of the job? No, but I, I, uh, no, but uh, no, I didn't, but I, I'm, I'm not even sure what expectations I really had or like cared to have. I was more excited about moving abroad and working for a big company. And I thought, there's a, like a lot of designers here that I can learn from. And I was just really excited to learn. You said you had a culture shock moving from New Jersey to Maryland. How was the culture shock moving from the US to, to Amsterdam? And especially when it comes to like work ethic. Work-life work balance here is like a, a big thing that people promote and like think is important and actually stick to. And that was really shocking for, for me because in the States, like you work-life balance is hard to come by, or at least it was. I, I, I believe it's probably the same right now, but I, I can only speak from yeah. when I was there. So yeah, I, I remember maybe like a year and a half into working at Booking, I was, I'd gotten a new phone and I was trying to figure out how to set up my work email on my phone. Yeah. So I just turned around to anyone who was in my area and I just said, hey guys, do you know how to set up your work email on, my, on your phone? It's not working for me. And everyone turned around and looked at me like, oh, you know, yeah. like, what, what do you mean? You, you have your work email on your phone, on your personal phone. And I was like, you don't have your work email on your personal phone. And it was just like, it was like very shocking to me. And I was like, well, what, what if someone needs to reach you on the weekend? And they're like, well, they'll wait till Monday. A shocking. Yeah. <laughs> you also mentioned that you first set a timer for yeah. when, you, when you can, when you can like leave the job or go home. Yeah. Do you still do that? Yeah. I, yeah. One of my team leads, one of my great team leads told me that I was working too late, but for me, I didn't think it was odd, but he told me I was working too late and to put an alarm on my phone to tell me when to go home and then just to immediately go home when that alarm goes off. 
so I did. So I have an alarm that goes off at 5.45 every day, every weekday. Yeah. And yeah, I still adhere to it. How many hours did you used to work back in the U.S. a week? I want to say like maybe 50. But yeah. the thing is, I was working at a startup and I didn't feel I didn't feel like I didn't have work life balance. Because also when you're working at a startup, when there were only like seven or eight people, you all feel like really invested. You want you want the, everything to succeed. Everyone's working late. There's a lot of camaraderie. So I didn't feel bad about my my work life balance in the States. Like, I guess I didn't. I feel like it would be difficult for me to go back to now. Because you've, yeah. you've tasted the good stuff and now yeah. you can't go back. Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I didn't realize I was missing out. <laughs> How did you adapt to this, to like the life of the work-life balance? Like in the beginning, were you, is it, the, can I imagine that you're in the office and like everyone's gone and you're, you're just sitting there and like typing your, typing your ass off and designing stuff. And then at some point that you realize like, oh, it's getting dark. I need to go home. <laughs> No, I, w I wouldn't say those times when I was staying late, I wouldn't say that I was necessarily alone. Because I think, especially when I first joined, even though booking was not a startup, there was still somewhat of a startup culture. And yeah. that I, I don't know if you, you remember when we used to have hackathon days, like it was everyone was happy to stay late during hackathons, because you would get free pizza, and then you'd work on something really cool. And you got to show it off on the last day of the hackathon. So I didn't feel like I was like, uh, it's not like, well, actually the cleaning people would be there sometimes, but I, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> they sometimes would literally like, like start cleaning your desk while you're still working. Like, yeah, I had that's like true. A place where there was like a, they do like a Kleenex and they would go all around my keyboard. And I was like, but I'm still working here. They yeah. don't care. They just yeah. do their job as well, <laughs> which, which is, which makes sense from uh, that, at that aspect. Uh, so you mentioned pizza. Which brings me to, to an interesting topic. So let me first paint a picture for the, for the people listening. So when you walk past your desk in the office, you'll see a desk filled with food. And it's not just food, it is boxes of cereal and all that sort of stuff. So first, like what kind of cereal are we talking about? Like Fruit Loops? No. No? Nay. Sorry. Cheerios. Cheerios. Cheerios, the yellow box of Cheerios, the original it, yellow it's, box. It's specifically this box. Yes. Yes. So can you, can you tell me, because I still don't understand, where does this habit come from of bringing like uh, boxes of cereal and specifically your own food into the office where we have, <laughs> we have catering, we have all sorts of things. I'm very specific about what I like, including my snacks. And I know I love Cheerios. I have baby pictures of me walking around with plastic bags full of Cheerios. Yeah. I just love them. They're a great snack. And I also, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a snacker. I like to snack. And I also, I'm also a stress eater. I, I come to find out in the last like six months or a year yeah. that I'm a stress eater. So that's why I have a lot of snacks around me. And are those snacks all American brands? Or have you like learned to, to enjoy some Dutch snacks <laughs> in the past five years? None? No, no. I mean, <laughs> oh, this, this is so disappointing. Yeah, I I mean I have pretzels sometimes or tortilla chips, but they're not as good. No, as, yeah, no, I know. yeah. <laughs> Do you have a specific shop for this for this stuff for the Americans listening in in Amsterdam? They wanna yes, I I typically buy at Kelly's Expat Shop. Wow. Yeah, or myamericanmarket.com. <laughs> and they they have like all range of uh, of cereals and what are these yeah. things called? I've experienced Twinkies once. 
candy cake things that probably will live longer than I would. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they have all that, that awful stuff that you're not supposed to eat. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so much healthier here, which is really nice, but sometimes you miss that stuff. <laughs> That's true. And you're really brand specific in these things, right? You like, it's the, yeah. those Cheerios, like the, the yellow box, where does this brand loyalty come from for, because the people that don't know you, you are a big fan of Adidas. Yeah. You would never wear Nike. Never. Never. Can you explain why? <laughs> I'm not sure. I've always been, I've always been super brand loyal or just, I'm just a loyal person in general, I think. So yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. I've just always really latched onto things and decided, okay, this is my thing. I, I know it. It's reliable. It's familiar to me. And yeah, this thing has always been good to me in one yeah. way or another. So then I just don't feel motivated to stray. And I just remember with Adidas when I was younger and my dad was like, yeah, Adidas. I remember when he went with me to get some soccer shoes and he was showing me Copa Mundials and was saying like, these are the ultimate soccer. It's true. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. Cool. Ultimate soccer boot. And I just remember that some of my teammates, when I was very little, they also had these shoes. And then one day Nike came out with these colorful cleats. They were like neon colors. And so a lot of my friends were like, oh, I want a Nike shoe now. So they switched and they got their Nike shoes. And then after a few games, they were all like, oh my God, they all had blisters on their feet. Exactly. And I just thought that's super lame that Nike allured people. No, that's not the word. Lured people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm losing English here. <laughs> That's because you, you spent too much time with Dutch people and speaking Dutch. It's a good sign. Was this also where your Nike hatred started? Like with in yeah. this exact moment? I think, yeah, maybe. You hurt my friends, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> but it is true. I mean, the OG Adidas football shoes, as we call it in Europe, sorry, they were like old school. And at some point, like they came up with like these colors and basically those people asked to get kicked down on the pitch yeah. because they were wearing these <laughs> colorful shoes. So what are other love brands? I know Starbucks is one. Starbucks, Apple, well, Cheerios, Canada Dry Ginger Ale. Very important. Does <laughs> this mean time I mentioned that? <laughs> does this mean that you're because you're brand loyal that you're also very loyal to the company you work for? Yeah, indeed. I've never booked an accommodation not on booking.com ever. Of never. course, I've, yeah, I've like flirted with Airbnb before, like I've looked at their catalog, but I've never actually booked anything through them. That's amazing. No. And I think when I leave booking, I don't really have a reason to, to stray. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you told me like the reason you left the startup you initially joined was because, I mean, they were not doing well, right? Maybe if, yeah. they, if they kept on doing well, you would never have left. Yeah. 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 Because they, they said that we should start looking and so it's okay. And does this mean that in your career, for instance, when, when Nike comes along and wants you to be <laughs> like the, the principal design manager for their new web suite products that you would say, no, I hate you because you're the worst brand in the world. I wouldn't say I hate them that they're the worst brand in the world, but I would just have to decline. It's it's. It, it would be too much of a betrayal. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. That's, I mean, if you're, if you're loyal to a brand, you're loyal to a brand. So I can, I can imagine also like if Adidas would come to you and say like, Hey, 
maybe Adidas is listening and now they're like, Hey, we could <laughs> Adidas, if they would come that you would feel really honored, right? I mean, you would be like, Oh, I actually love this brand. Your connection to yeah, the brand is so much. I do more... have a connection to the brand. Like I, I, I know it sounds like, I know it sounds silly. I, I know it's like all centered around capitalism. Right. But I do feel like, I do feel like a, a Adidas resonates with me. Yeah. How, how does this brand loyalty translate into your, into your design work? Because what, what I know of your design work, it's always very, your, the goal of your design is always very clear. It's always recognizable as if you have your own kind of like design brand. Like I can always say like, Hey, that's a, that's a design by Z. Oh. Would you say that's because of your brand loyalty that you also have this in your design work? I would say no, but I would say that a lot of times when I look at a design or, or even like a, maybe like a chair or something that I think is really nice. Yeah. A lot of times it, for some reason, it turns out to be German made. I think I'm, I think I'm really drawn to German design and, yeah. and like all fields because it's very clean cut and to the point. And so I think maybe that's, maybe that's what comes across in my yeah. design work as well. I like to be clear, clean cut into the point. Does it mean did you like Scandinavian design as well, or is it specifically yeah. German design that I, I think I like Scandinavian as well, but I, I think more, I think, uh, more German. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Puma is also a brand that you would nay, nay, nay. no, oh, because of the feud, of course, because they were brothers. And then... Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. No, but even like the car, the car brands there, the German car brands, like I'm, I'm drawn, I'm drawn to them. They're very, their designs are very sleek to the point. There are no unnecessary frills, at least in my opinion. Like even Volkswagen, right? Yeah. When you hear the car door slam for Volkswagen, it's very, it just seems like very sturdy. Like, yes, the door is closed now. Like you have yeah. no questions. I think what you're saying is that you, you value the brand aspect of simplicity and, and safety in yeah. terms of, I know this uh, reliable, I know this works. Yeah. I mean, German people are known for their lack of humor one yeah. and, but I mean, this is a joke, but for their reliability and I need, even now in COVID-19 situation, everyone looks up to Germany. Like, how are you going to deal with this uh, situation? They're yeah. like, kind of like a role model in how they're doing things because they are reliable and safe and yeah. simplistic. And maybe they didn't waste time on the frills and they took all that energy or, or extra resources and put it into making sure that what they've built is really reliable and just straight into the, to the point. So yeah. is, is it safe to say that that's also your, your design aesthetic and your design brand, like keep it simple, keep it without fuzz, without yeah, the... I, I guess so. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in therapy right now and I'm learning a lot about myself just, just from you asking me questions. I'll bill you later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now at some point, the interesting transition came along of designer to design manager. A lot of people would say, why? Why, why do you want to be a manager? Like what, like, why did you make the move? I really enjoy design, but I know that I can be more passionate about people than I can be about product. So for that reason, I took a step back and thought about what part of my work days really give me the most energy and make me the most happy. And yeah. it's really just interacting with other people and trying to build an inclusive, psychologically safe, work environment that's full of good vibes. Yeah. 
how would how would you if, if I'm your report, so you're you're my manager, what would what would be the first things that you we would do in a in a in a first meeting? The so I'm meeting you for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely our first one-on-one. The first like at least 30 minutes of it would just be getting to know each other. So who are you? What do you like to do in your free time, like outside of work? Yes. Really <laughs> who, who do you live with? These type of things. What do you do for fun? And then we'd go into work and talk about, okay, you know, what do you like to do at work? What gives you energy? What motivates you? And then also, what are your goals? Like, where, where do you see yourself in three, five years? So what's the next step for you? Yeah. So that would definitely be our first. Actually, that that probably be the only thing we talk about in our first one-on-one. And then the next one-on-one, we'd then start talking about the work we have to do. And how do you how do you cope with people's issues? Because you're really loyal. Do you take these to heart? Like when you have like four or five of your reports and they really struggle at work, does it affect your like your sleep and Yeah. <laughs> definitely. I find it extremely stressful. So I yeah, whenever there's something we're wrong with, not only the people who are reporting to me, but just like the people around me, if I feel like there's something that I can do to help, I'll, I'll try to help. Because yeah, I, I find it stressful. You're at work for, I find it really rewarding when people around me feel good about coming to work because you're there for 40, 40 hours a week. It'd be nice to feel nice during that yeah. time. I think that you can really feel when people are unhappy, even even if you're not really speaking to them, but there's this, this yeah. vibe hanging around. It's a different now because of the whole COVID situation and you're working from home. So you have a lot of one-on-ones through a screen and not in like in person anymore. Yeah, definitely. I find it really frustrating. I really like working from home, but I just do miss those bursts of energy that you get throughout the day talking to people. And I miss like being able to sit at your desk and then look around and just have like a quick understanding of like how people are, are doing and that's completely yeah. missing. So people are, people might be suffering and you're just not aware of it. Whereas if you were in person, you could go and try to cheer them up or say like, Hey, if something seems wrong. Let's go get a Starbucks. Of course, always a yeah. Starbucks <laughs> and it's conveniently located across the office. So yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. And I also feel that whenever, whenever you speak to someone one-on-one, like normally in the office, what you're saying, you could maybe even listen to their body language and like this person yeah. looks unhappy and now it's all stage, right? Because like yeah. I'm going into a meeting, let's sit upright and I pretend that I'm actually happy and that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. So that, that's really, I can imagine for a manager, especially having one-on-ones that this whole COVID situation is kind of draining and also po- like possibly really hard to maintain the same, the same level of yeah. control or. Yeah. Quality. Team chemistry, team chemistry. We've had um, in my organization at work, a lot of new people have joined the team and yeah, it's unfortunate that we don't have that time to connect in, per- in person and get to know one another because once you have built team chemistry or like rapport with your teammates everything work-related becomes so much easier i guess we're still trying to figure out how we can do that we've done some remote activities to keep people engaged and getting to know each other but it's it's still not the same as being in person can you give some examples of things that you're trying out yeah like my team one of my teammates and i organized the team bake and cook off uh, the other day so we would normally do this in the office, but we still did it remotely. So you just bake or cook something and then you take some sweet photos of it and of then you upload it. And then, yeah, we created this PowerPoint presentation where people, sorry, Google Slides presentation 
and with all the photos and people's funny descriptions of what they made and then we allowed people to vote and that was still a lot of fun so we got yeah. to even learn you know who likes to bake who likes to cook oh wow who's a really good cook you know it yeah. was fun i think it's challenging i was listening to a, a podcast from by envision because they're fully remote and they were talking about all these challenges of you never really meet someone in person so how can you connect with someone when you're only looking through a screen and one of the things they mentioned is that people at some point uh, started paying more attention to the backdrop of their of the room they were actually uh, filming mm. in so they would make sure that there is an interesting bookshelf with like books about oh. stuff that actually is valuable to them or yeah. you know a, a painting that they talk about so because like you have the opportunity to look into someone's home right i mean yeah when i'm looking at me now i see uh, some sheet music so yeah. we could talk about like you um enjoying playing piano whatever so there is an opportunity it's just that people need to adjust to this new situation right yeah i like that yeah i, I was at a, a meeting the other day and someone did an icebreaker where they said like okay you have 10 seconds to go grab something in your house and then come back and explain like why you grabbed it and what it means to you. And I thought that was really nice. So I like what you just said about trying to use your environment to still help people get to know each other. I want to go into another topic. <laughs> so Maybe sure. this is where you end the, end the podcast. Just pretend I left. <laughs> I could. I mean, it would make sense, but do you miss the US? Yes and no. Yes okay. and no. There are some parts of the States that... <laughs> I mean, it's much easier to get my snacks in the States. So I miss that. I miss driving. I know I can drive here, but it's different in the States when you're not worried about cyclists and trams and buses and you're just, you know... People, yeah. people in general. Yeah. I actually mm -hmm. didn't mind my commute to and from work in the States because you go get your Starbucks and then you turn on your music really loud in your car and then you just, yeah, you just go on the highway and get to work. It's really nice. It's yeah. a really nice vibe in the morning. I actually like that. I think um, right now not having a commute is really difficult for some people because you have like, it's like you get to work and you transition into work mode yeah. and you transition out of work mode. And now yeah. Literally, for some people, stand up, turn around, and go to your couch. Yeah, indeed. And what do you, what do you don't miss? I will, I will respond to that by saying I really enjoy having affordable healthcare here, and knowing that if something goes wrong, I don't have to maybe wait it out a day and see if I feel better. I can just go to the <laughs> go to the hospital if I feel like something is wrong. Yeah. Medication is also much more affordable here. There's a bunch more stuff. Oh yeah, like it's easier to. It's easier to buy a home here. Oh God, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, is it? Sorry, I'm blanking now. No, that's that's no, no problem. Would it still be like a dream for you to work in the valley, for instance, at a, one of the big five? No, I, 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 no, I've never wanted to work over there. I, I think it's cool to it'd be cool to work for one of those companies. But yeah. for me, like as as far as living situation, I, I really like New York. New York is my favorite city. So yeah. I would love to live in New York City. I guess Amsterdam's kind of <laughs> close, being that <laughs> New York is New Amsterdam. So you exactly. still get some of those beautiful facades here. But I really like the pace of New York. So that would be my dream city to live in one day. And then that's a faster pace than here, right? Yeah, much faster. 
what about you? Did you ever want to live in the valley? So honestly, I I grew up and I always thought like, oh, I really want to work in in the U.S. and especially in in the valley for for one of the big five companies. So I think a lot of Dutch people have this. Maybe a lot of I think Pedro had the same. When you grow up, like the the picture that is painted of the U.S. is this suburbia picture, right? <laughs> Like nice houses and yeah. everything's super clean, taken care of. Everyone's happy. There's possibilities all over. And that picture is really pleasant. So at some point you realize you start doing more research and you start realizing, well, that's just maybe like 5% or 10% of, of what the U.S. actually is. And, and then I realized, and especially the last five or six years, that there's so much shit going on. And although I know that we are privileged working in tech, so we would have a pretty pleasant life, but yeah. I just can't work in an environment and live in an environment where I know there's so much difference between, I mean, a former colleague just went back to, to San Francisco and he was like mm -hmm. showing pictures and videos of like homeless people, like lying on the streets and tents, like for miles and miles and miles. And I've like in Amsterdam, yeah. you, you don't, you see, homeless people in parks rarely, but that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me feel so much more safe and happy to live in a, in a city where I know that people have it good relatively. Yeah. And that's the reason why the U S for me now is that, like that ship has sailed. Definitely. Yeah. My first time I went to, and the only time I went to San Francisco, I was really surprised to see how many homeless people are in San Francisco. I had no idea. And actually after a year or so after I moved here, it, for some reason, it just clicked to me how safe I felt here. And, and also, this is unrelated, but I also noticed that I didn't see any homeless people here in the Netherlands. And I felt like, well, this is strange. I've not seen a homeless person. What's going on? Then I, yeah. then, then I learned that the Netherlands does a really good job of taking care of people who need help. Yeah. I think in like Western <laughs> Europe, nice. in, in general, I think even during COVID situation, they put homeless people in hotels. Because oh. in in Dutch we would say the knife cuts on both ends, but that's probably not American. Also, yeah. it translates into English, but it's like it's it's good to take care of those people, and it also helps with maintaining like a, a safe and 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 clean street, right? I mean, mm. that's also just a thing. So yeah, for the U.S. for me, not anymore. But I can imagine that if you're from there, then at some point you want to go back. For me, not in the near future, but I, I mean, I still love the United States. I, I mean, like a few years ago when Trump got elected and there was this, all, you know, this big uproar like there is now about, you know, the racial divide and so on and so forth. I went back to the States because one of my friends was getting married and I thought like, oh, it's going to be so awful here. And then I started going to my grocery store and such and like this really old white man like opened the door for me, moved out of the way, opened the door for me. You go into the grocery store and everyone's greeting you and saying hello of all ages and all sizes and yeah. and all colors. Sorry. And uh, yeah, then I was like, oh, yeah, this is the America that I'm actually more familiar with. And I forgot, like, this is what it is. This yeah. is what it is like in the town that I live in. So it's really, yeah, it was a reminder to myself, like, not to not to generalize but yeah at the same time I, there is a tough yeah there is a tough situation going on in the states would you say that like the media now paints a picture that like everything is bad in the us and you have experienced that it's actually 
just in a few places and the rest is okay in the in the past six months no i look- think in the past six months now it does suck everywhere <laughs> yeah how, as a black person how has it been looking at like the black lives matter movement and all the uproar in the us being here was that difficult or a bless i think it was just as exhausting emotionally exhausting and I know like for my black friends and I, this, this, this time, this occurrence after George was murdered was just a very different experience because I think it was, I wrote an article actually that explained my feelings to me. And I was like, yes, this is exactly it. (laughs) But especially traumatizing for black people during this time is because like all of a sudden, finally, everybody was like, oh, is, is there something going on? (laughs) It's just like, Yes, and you have no idea what it's like every single day when you're out in the world to feel like you need to act a certain way or be be careful of certain things because just because you're black or a person of color. So yeah, I think it was it was really exhausting. Yeah. I think what it showed someone really put it well is that at some point people, I think white people were complaining, yeah, oh, well, it's enough. It's been like uh, Black Lives Matter is for like two weeks now. I'm, I'm, we, we get the point. And someone said, "Well, this is exactly the point. Like, we can't, we can say, oh yeah, we're done with racism. Like, <laughs> stop it now. I maybe in a, a couple of months, I'm, I'm ready for it again. Right? It's, yeah. It's every, it's every day. Yeah. And, and it's still, it's still going on. And what you saw, of course, is that the first uh, couple of weeks there was really like a good media coverage, and now yeah. at some point. It becomes less and less and less while well, the problem is still is still there yeah a bunch of us were also disappointed because we also have a lot of people that we expected would have had something to say about black lives matter because they've been our friends for so long or that we've grown up with them playing sports for several years for example who yeah. just had nothing to say their life didn't pause they were still you know you know people are grieving the- <laughs> Yeah. And they're still like, you know, posting uh, photos of like the daiquiri that they just enjoyed. And it's just like constantly painting a picture about how they're completely unaffected by yeah. what's going on in their in their home country and how, how their friends or people that they claim to be friends with are affected. So yeah. was- I, I always find it difficult to figure out whether I should speak about it or like give stage to to black people instead talking about the topic. So what kind of like advice would you give to white people in this situation? What should yeah, they do? I w- yeah, I would say talk talk about it. I, I think it's I think it's just as important for you, if not more important for you to talk about it. So I think that was that when I said that, you know, a lot of people had nothing to say about it. That was disheartening because like I don't have the same outreach in the white yeah. community as somebody who is white has. It's It's unlikely that I do. So we really need white people to have this discussion with each other and amongst their family to call out these things and and make people more aware of what's going on. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I know a lot of people are also worried about saying the wrong thing, but yeah. I think it's better to talk about something and accidentally say the wrong thing and then learn from it and then other people learn from it. It's kind of difficult, especially because like, A, you're afraid that you, you do something wrong and then you're being immediately canceled and like oh you're like you're <laughs> being called culture. out for for one thing that you said wrong is it something that because now we're talking about it, is it something that you've you've 
experienced in your career? Yeah, it's hard to, yeah, I, I feel like the answer, the answer is yes. Yeah. Like, but there's a difference, I guess there's a difference between like overt racism yeah. and yeah, like microaggressions, accidental or, you know, things that people don't, people don't understand that they're being racist. Yeah. And I think that I've experienced more microaggressions than overt racism when it comes to working. Do you, yeah. do you think that's it, there's more of that here than in the US and vice versa? It's still no. inst institutional here, but it's less visible. No, I think it's the same everywhere. I think it's the same everywhere. Yeah. But I'll say like at my startup, I didn't feel discriminated against in my startup. So you've had five years of booking and you've done a lot and now you're design manager. What's your future? Is your, is there passion going into design leadership? I think there's a passion about people management more so than specifically design management. But I think because design has been my craft yeah. that naturally that would, that would lead to um, a further career in design management. Yeah. Because like, if you know the craft and it's easier yeah. to have conversations with people yeah. about their craft that I, yeah. that I agree. But like a chief people officer position for you would be more likely than. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that what, idea. Yeah, I would vote for you as the chief people oh, officer. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> if you would be people officer at, at a big company, what's the first thing that you want to put on the agenda or change? I, I think I almost think it's irresponsible for big companies, especially when they hire a diverse set of people to not have trainings about how yeah. to uh, navigate diversity. I think it's really important to have some type of, yeah, trainings that people go through to understand or become more aware of people's differences, celebrate those differences. And you mean for, for managers or for everyone at the company? Everyone, everyone. Yeah. yeah. I so think it's really important. So there's annoying compliance trainings with like the, the famous song that, 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 that. <laughs> But then I think a compliance training isn't enough though. I think it needs to be like it almost like an in-house workshop where you can really connect with people because we have a saying at booking that I really like diversity gives us strength, but I think you really have to understand what diversity is, yeah. what people's differences are and to acknowledge them and to celebrate them before they can really become a strength. You know, is that something you already do now, like in, on a smaller scale with the people you manage? I definitely ask a lot of questions and try to get to try to get to know people. I will say one nice thing is the other day when this bake off and cook off that was happening, that I was telling you about one of my coworkers told me like, Hey, Ramadan is coming up yeah. the beginning of Ramadan. I think we should check with the, the Muslim people in our organization to see if it's okay. If we even have this bake and cook off, because I was supposed to announce the results. And it was yeah. like right when Ramadan was starting and I was like, oh, wow, like I didn't realize that Ramadan was starting. And I thought it was really great that this person said, thought we have a diverse group of people. I know that this holiday is coming up. Let me make people aware of it so that yeah. we're not doing something insensitive and showing them like all these delicious treats when they're, you know, just starting their fast. So yeah. I think even something like that is nice. And I did reach out to a few of the Muslim people on my team and said like, and tried to ask them for guidance about how to, how to navigate yeah. that. and. and I think that's nice. Cool. I think we've um, almost come to the to the end. We already touched on these two final questions a little bit before, 
But we would love to know what music do you listen to while you're designing? When I want to focus, there is a pure focus playlist on Apple Music. Of course, really no, like. no Spotify. <laughs> no Spotify that I really like to listen to. And it's almost scary how it's almost scary how productive I am when that thing comes on. I just completely zone out and then it's like, okay, I, I missed the start of meetings. And you know how much I hate being late to things. Yes. But I've missed the start of several meetings because I was so locked into that playlist. What kind of music is it? <sighs> I don't even know. I, it's I like don't know. Instrumental, like no people are people are also saying things. <laughs> okay, but it's just a type of music. Yeah, it's very like uh, somber. <laughs> Electronic music, probably. No, I I don't think it's I don't think I wouldn't call it electronic. I'm gonna look it up and then now we'll play some music in the background. So now you can say like, oh, this is actually great music. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> oh, great. So that's that's a part of the uh, playlist you listen to while designing. Um, yeah. And if you if you can add one song to our Spotify playlist, sorry, maybe migrate it to uh, Apple Podcast at some point or copy it <laughs> in the future. Well, what, what which song do you want to add? I'll add uh, "Sun Is Shining" by Bob Marley. Bob Marley. This is a song that you that you also listen to during your workday, or is it just a song you like? Yeah, it's just a really a song I like, but I do listen to it during my workday. Sometimes I do listen to reggae. It's yeah. it's nice. I I sometimes feel that if my mood is a little bit uh, depressing, then it really helps like put on happy music. The same yeah. as it like focus music helps focus. Like happy music helps get into a happy mood. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you on that. Awesome. And uh, the final question: Your story was great. Thank you already. We want to hear stories from other people that I and the other listeners haven't met. So now it's up to you to think of a name of a person or people that we should invite on the podcast. Maybe Erin Weigel? Got a spoiler alert for you. Oh, She's going to be... interviewing her? Yes. Oh, you're, great. you're the the third or fourth person who says we should interview her. I really she's love her energy amazing. and her honesty. Yeah. yeah, she's great. That's awesome. Thank you for this. I hope you find <laughs> it, uh, you're going to love the end result. I, I hope you find it um, interesting to be interviewed on the podcast. <laughs> I'm not a podcast person, but I guess I need to be now. You but are. This is the I first actually... of many shows. The podcast of yours that I've listened to, though, I think I have listened to on the Apple podcast app already. I think they're they there already. They're there already. But the, like oh, okay. the Spotify playlist or the oh. Designers FM mixtape I was talking about oh, is only on you. Spotify. Uh, yeah, come on over. Come on over to yeah. the good side. Thanks for joining us this week on the Designers FM show. Make sure to visit our website, designers.fm, where you will find wonderful material and links to all our shows on all the different platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes or just tell a friend about us. We would be extremely thankful. That's all for now. I'm your host, David, and this class is dismissed. <laughs>